ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. Today, on episode four, we have Keith Darrell of Whitfield Fellowship in Bellbrook, Ohio. Keith, welcome to Master's Crib. Very glad to be here. And yes, so I am Keith Darrell from the Whitfield Fellowship, and I basically I spend my life open-air preaching on college campuses, and so that's a little bit of an idea of what my ministry does. So when did you start doing that? So the actually, the first time I started uh, open-air preaching was 2000. I was in a seminary. I went to Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, and I... I guess backing up a little bit, I was converted in 1993, about a month before I got to college. And then I got to college and there was a man open air preaching there. And I thought the guy was, and he was a bit of a maniac. He was a Pelagian, (laughs) which means he didn't believe in original sin and things like that. And so he was uh, very confrontational in his preaching. Mm. Um, But it was the first time I saw anybody publicly preaching. And I didn't know enough of the Bible to know, well, you shouldn't be doing that. What I actually did is I went home, I read the book of Acts, and I was like, well, they're publicly preaching in Acts, and Jesus is publicly preaching, and the prophets are publicly preaching. It seems that this is pretty normal. Uh, The problem is more what he's saying than it is the actual philosophy of ministry. And so very early on, I fell in love with the idea of public preaching. And then just by the grace of God and providence, I started reading about men like George Whitfield, John Wesley, uh, the Waldensians, and even going back to the book of Acts, uh, kind of a thematic verse for me became Acts chapter 17. And so anyway, the first time I openly publicly preached was in 2000 while I was in seminary. I did that through seminary, but then in 2005, I moved to New York City, worked in finance from 2005 until basically 10 years ago, April, probably right around now is when I left my job. I think it was April 9th or 10th, and I left to open air preach. And how it came about was there was a church being planted in Bellbrook, Ohio, and some men I knew uh, asked if I'd be interested in pastoring the church. I said, no, I don't believe I'm called to be a pastor. And they were kind of like, well, we think you're wasting your life in finance. Why don't you go publicly preach? And um, around that same time, there were probably six other people in my life that all told me to go and preach. And so I was like, all right, let's go and preach. So anyway, 10 years ago, right around now, as I left my job in finance and sold everything I owned that didn't fit into my car and just began traveling and preaching at that point. Awesome. So, that, so there's confirmation right there. Everybody's telling you, yes, you're saying no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and that was kind of it is I, you know, internally I wanted to preach. Um, I thought it would, you know, I, I've, I've, all, I've kind of had a desire to do it, um, but I was waiting for the external affirmation. And mm. so in general, when I think of the Lord calling somebody to do something, uh, you know, the idea of two or three witnesses is a good idea. And so internally I had the desire, then I had people external to me from really different walks of life all telling me to go. And so I took those two things together along with the word of God, like go and preach the gospel. Internally, I wanted to do it. Externally, people are telling me to do it. And those witnesses all added up to, yeah, go and preach. So yeah, and the wow. Lord's been completely faithful for 10 years. So it's uh, longer than that, but in, uh, it's, it's been very evident in 10 years that uh, he's been very gracious in providing for me. Wow, that is so awesome. So when you set up on a campus, uh, you, you pick the campus you're going to go to. Um, so you set everything up. You have everything in front of you. 
what is your hope? Like, what are you planning to accomplish that day? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. So most days I go out with a chair, a Bible, and some water. Um, and my, my, I usually say my, my goal is two things. My, obviously, first and foremost, it's to preach the gospel. So our little tagline mm-hmm. is uh, the gospel in the public square. And so going back to the idea of Acts chapter 17, Paul's waiting for some friends of his in Athens, and he's provoked because the city's full of idolatry. And so the text says he goes into the synagogue in the marketplace to reason with the Jews, and then he's also in the marketplace with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and others who had gathered. And then the text says that he um, it says the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would do nothing but hearing and telling the latest ideas. So anyway, the basic idea is I'm going into a college campus that is, um, you know, the foundation is basically secularism at this point, that Christianity is mm. on the outs. And so what I hope to do is preach the gospel in that context and provide a reason for the hope that we have, that it's not some backwoods, silly, stupid thing, although the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Uh, but it is actually a, a very reasonable belief, um, but the problem is human sin and rebellion. So that's the primary goal is to set forth the gospel, but then derivatively, kind of or, or kind of intertwined, I do want to oppose the idols of the age. And so be it you know the sexual chaos that we often see, um, be it intellectual autonomy, be it, uh, you know, uh, pluralism, which is just the idea that many roads will lead to God and all beliefs are equal and stuff like that. Mm. So, so that it's twofold. One, set forth the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord, and, and secondly, oppose every other Lord, basically. Wow. So any other religion, I do want to oppose because Christianity is the truth. And so th- that's, a, that's my two-step that I'm trying to do out there all day. Wow, that's, that's awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Most of the time, I'll, I always say I think I have the best job in the country 90% of the time. 10% of the time, I'm out there like, what in the world am I doing? And so when the, when the police are there and people are stealing your stuff and uh, there's all sorts of chaos going on, you're like, what am I doing? And, and, and I do evaluate myself. You know, it, it is kind of one of those things that's easy to um, be like, oh, people are sinners and we see it in the Bible. We're going to be opposed. But, you know, you, you try to evaluate yourself. Am I being a jerk? Am I being mean? Yeah. Um, am I actually being a stumbling block because I'm preaching the gospel or because I'm being a jerk? And, mm. um, you yeah, know, when you're when you're preaching literally for five, six hours a day, um, you know, I, I have control over my tongue and my mouth. And so I'm comfortable with. Uh, you know, everything I'm saying almost every day, but every now and then you're like, ah, I probably shouldn't have said that, but God's gracious in general. And I'm convicted that I've said something I should not have said. God's given me the opportunity to apologize to the person I've said it to and stuff like that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's even, even those little things of providence are pretty fascinating. That's awesome. So now uh, let's just say uh, you've been to this university and you make a return trip. Do you see any fruit from that from your first trip? Yeah, I lo- yeah, that's actually the the most of my fruit when people ask of it is this effective or is it fruitful um, I usually dodge the effective question because when I think of Moses going to Pharaoh and hardening Pharaoh's heart he was effective. Um, from a world standpoint since he didn't win Pharaoh's heart um, we would think he's not effective. And so Paul says everywhere we go we spread the room of Christ. Some were the room of life, others were the room of death. And so if I'm life or death I'm content with that. But on the flip side as well, very little of my quote unquote like conversion fruit is immediate and direct. It's usually indirect. And so what I mean by that is I'll show up to a campus, I'll preach. And the best thing, and even this is part of my goal for the day, it's not just about me showing up and preaching, 
what I'm also hoping to do is I'm kind of showing up, dropping a bomb, and everybody's talking about the gospel derivatively from there. And so people go back to their dorms, and there'll be a Christian in the dorm. They'll be like, hey, did you see the guy in front of the library? What did you think of that? And next thing you know, these Christians are being able to do evangelism that they may not have been otherwise. And from there, they're able to talk about things wow. that they don't normally want to talk about, such as repentance. No Christian wants to talk about repentance. But, you know, here I was talking about repentance. What do you, what do you guys think of that? And um, and so what I've seen, the fruit of what I've seen is more often than not, I show up, preach, somebody opposes me, somebody was listening to me, and then they go back to the dorm, they start to interact with Christians, and over the next three, four months or whatever it may be, uh, they end up being converted. And that kind of fits with wow. Paul's idea that one man sows, one water, but God gives Absolutely. the increase. And so whether I'm sowing or watering on campus that day, it's ultimately God who gives the increase. And that's usually, I see that when I return back is literally like, you know, even last semester I was in Washington and a guy was like, hey, I, you know, you were here four times last year and I would just sit and listen to you each time. And I remember the kid sitting and listening because I actually thought he was already a believer. I was like, oh, this kid agrees with everything I'm saying. And he's like, <laughs> I had never heard the gospel before. And he's like, but I, I just knew as you were talking, I believe that. And so I was like, all right, yeah. And wow. so he's involved with the church there and everything else. And so, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I get to see fruit. I, very rarely do I see someone repent on the spot, um, but I'll come back a semester later or a year later and uh, some of the people opposing me have become believers. I'm so I'm so glad that people are hearing you say that because one of the things that we find typically in the church is we have a lot of the the pray the prayer mentality you know, where if mm -hmm. I did not get a profession of faith from this person then it's it's an absolute failure so I think it's really good to hear you know you're out there doing this you know day in and day out and and you're taking the punches literally sometimes and yeah. um, and people are hearing right now that sometimes it's a return visit when you start to see the fruit from that. And I, I just think that that's important that people understand, you know, God is in control of when these people are saved, of, of the method that's used. And, you know, you're out there sowing seed, uh, just like your, your theme song says, and um, <clears throat> you don't know what you're going to see until you make that return visit. And I just think that that's awesome for people to hear. Yeah, and, you know, some of that I probably won't even see till eternity because I, I think of it was probably a year ago I was preaching in Southern California. I think I was at uh, University of San Diego or San Diego, uh, UCSD, U University of California, San Diego, I, I believe is where I was. And I finished up my day and I was leaving. A guy comes running up to me and he's like, were you out here like, three years ago or whatever it was? I was like, yeah, I've been out. I've been coming out here every year for the last four or five years. And uh, he's like, were you with a bald guy who's my friend Sean? He's like, yeah, I, I heard you guys out here. And um, you guys were debating morality and the, and the need and, you know, our basic ideas that we're arguing that the, you know, the Christian God is the foundation of morality. And so usually what I'm out there, I'll say, you know, the reason murder is wrong is because God is life. The mm -hmm. reason lying is wrong is because God is truth. The reason adultery is wrong is because God is faithful. And so we're to reflect God in her morality towards one another. It's not primarily humanistic as we often think of it. So anyway, making that argument out on campus and this, this gentleman two or three years later was like, yeah, I went home and I just couldn't get that debate out of my head. And I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. He's like, I'm a Christian now. And so um, even that sort of thing, sometimes you, you, we may not hear of, of the fruit. And there was even, mm. man, it was probably two or three years ago. I, I received an email five years after, it was probably 2017. So I remember I think it was five years later. I think that the kid said he heard me in 2012. And so yeah, five years later, um, I get an email from somebody who heard me on a campus in 2012. And so, um, yeah, so oftentimes I, I, I may not even see some of the fruit um, that's born uh, wow. because it might be even be years later that someone's wrestling through the issues and they'll remember the guy who came and preached and here they are becoming believers. So wow. it's interesting. This is, this is just amazing. So um, we'd like to take a little bit of time and just uh, tear into God's word with you here. So okay. uh, the passage we have is the great commission. I want to just uh, read that for a second. So um, 
starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So my question I want to toss out to you tonight, Keith, is with the modern time that we live in, there's a lot of confusion about what the Great Commission actually is. So would you just uh, talk about that for a couple minutes? What is the Great Commission? Yes, uh, really good question, and uh, you know we, we could we could spend hours doing it, but uh, kind of. So, so what we need to do first of all, I think, in part, is actually I'll, I'll race through. So don't don't worry, I'm not going to talk forever. But if we go back to Adam in the garden, um, the question because we've so, so the point point I'm, I'm trying to get is this: if you go back to Adam in the garden and you ask what was the role of Adam in the garden, what was the role of Adam and Eve, what were they going to do? And the role of Adam and Eve were to take dominion over the earth. And mm. so if you, if you, tonight or tomorrow, you were to read Genesis chapter 2, you would realize that God takes man and places him, he has a land of Eden, and then in the land of Eden is a garden. And he takes that man and he places him in the garden of Eden. And I believe what the role of Adam and Eve were to do, where they were to take dominion over the whole earth, and what they're going to do is take that garden and spread the image of God all over the face of the earth, mm. is what Adam and Eve were going to do. But obviously, Adam and Eve failed in their task. In um, They listened to the voice of the serpent right. rather than the voice of God, and Adam listened to the voice of the woman rather than the voice of God. Mm. And so I would want, what I'd want to argue is that the Great Commission is actually intertwined with what it means to be a true human being, mm. what it means to be uh, for man to take dominion. And so we have dominion in Christ, and Christ being the faithful last Adam is the one who is properly exercising dominion. And so the first Adam uh, was exercised dominion, and he failed. The, then Noah was a type of Adam, and he failed. Uh, there's another fall that takes place there. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is even Israel itself was to be a new creation, and God was bringing them into a land flowing with milk and honey, which is all kind of like the Garden of Eden-type language stuff. Um, and they failed in doing what they're supposed to do. But Jesus being the faithful Israelite, Jesus being the faithful man, um, he's fulfilling the task of what Adam was supposed to do. And now we who are in him, uh, his image bearers, we are now fulfilling that task. And so when people in your church are going to work and they're breaking things and they're naming things and they're tearing things apart and they're building things, that's kind of like Genesis 1, that's being an image bearer of God. Mm. And part of being an image bearer of God is you are bringing uh, the good news that Jesus Christ is restoring our humanity, restoring the true nature um, back to who we're supposed to be. And so going into the nation's... Um, we are involved in this quote-unquote great commission of reconciling the nations uh, back to God. And one of the things that's kind of interesting with the great commission is if you go back to the original commission that Jesus has in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, one thing that's kind of interesting, he says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, uh, but rather go to the lost tribes of the house of Israel. And now here at the end, because Jesus now has all authority under heaven and earth, um, he's now saying, now go into all the nations. And so now even the Gentiles are being brought back under the so authority good. of the true God. So good. And, uh, and I don't know how much you want, but that, that even, even this idea of going to nations and bringing people like you and me back um, and anybody in your church who's a Gentile, um, if you think about 
what's going on in the Bible, and you go back to Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel when God divides the nations, um, this might sound crazy to some of your hearers, and, I, I, and, and they're always free to contact me if this sounds nuts, and I hope it's not too nutty. <laughs> but in Genesis chapter 11, when God divides the nations, if you go to Deuteronomy 32, I think it's verse 8 or verse 11. I think it's verse 8. It says that when God divided the nations according to the sons of God, and so the, according to the sons of God. And so when God divided the nations in Genesis chapter 11, he said, Israel's my possession. And he basically handed the other uh, nations over to like less, not, not gods in the sense of one like Yahweh, but we might call them like demons or right, lower, right. Lo- lower beings. And, um, and so you and I, our people used to serve rocks and stones and, you know, mm. Stonehenge or whatever is all going Odin and all those crazy things that our ancestors used to serve. And now in general in the West, we've, we've served the living God. But if you go to other nations, they're still serving false gods and the gospel will go to them and Jesus will conquer those gods and bring the nations back under his authority. And so mm. what's going on in the Great Commission is fulfilling what the first Adam was supposed to do. And it's also undoing the, the rebellion of man at the Tower of Babel. And so it's undoing Adam's rebellion. It's undoing the, the rebellion at the Tower of Babel as well. Um, that's that's kind of what we're doing. That's why it's, it's, it's an amazing and a fun, and even in many ways, a fun task to be a part of, is that we get, here's what it means to be a human being, and we get to exercise that dominion and authority because yeah. Jesus was faithful. That is so awesome. That's so awesome. So uh, all is is a repeated word in, in uh, theology theology classes. They teach us when we see a repeated word, it's it's important. So we yeah. see all here. It's there twice. Uh, all authority, all nations. What is meant by all? Yeah, that, there's uh, not a jot or tittle that's out of his authority. Um, there's a man named Abraham Kuyper, and he says there's not one. Uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, but he, he says something effect that there's you know there's basically not one loose molecule from the authority of Christ, and we're and we're taking the dominion back. And so if you think of uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament being the creator, and Jesus is the creator, um, he has all authority, and he doesn't have just authority on earth, uh, but he has all authority in heaven. So there may have been people. Um, even at the end of Second Chronicles, Cyrus, uh, God gave him authority uh, over the nations. And now Jesus is the one who has all authority in heaven on earth. Mm. And um, so, yeah, what that when it ends up really practically meaning is if you are a Christian and you step back and you even think, I don't care what your politics are, but you look at the American system, uh, your confidence is that Jesus has all authority over it. When you look at the chaos mm. going on in China your confidence is amidst this rebellion and this wickedness and this chaos, Jesus has all authority over it. Uh, the COVID-19 and all that sort of, Jesus has all authority over it. Um, so no matter who wins this upcoming election, I don't care if you're adamantly pro-Trump or adamantly against Trump, if you're anything like that young woman, if you remember when Trump was being inaugurated and she's sitting in that yellow jacket screaming at the sky, no, yeah, yeah. no, like that is not the Christian's approach to politics because Jesus is king. And even if we don't win election for four years or we don't have power for eight years, uh, Jesus is still, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Lord and King. Amen. And we need that total confidence. And once you're persuaded of that, you actually become free. If your hope is Donald Trump or your hope is the Democrats or your hope is something else, you, you're not ultimately going to be a free person because your power is going to ebb and flow. But once you realize that Jesus is the one with all authority and he has power over your life and he has power over death and he has power over the economy, 
uh, then you're actually become free people. And this isn't a pat on my back, but I'm persuaded of that. And that's why I was able to leave my job in finance. And mm. at that time, I didn't raise any money. I just said, you know, I just, I'm just going to go. And if Jesus loves me, and he does, he's going to provide for me. He's going to meet my needs. It may not look like what I want it to look like, um, but he's going to be able to do that. And going all the way back to Abraham, the call when he left his family, that's what the call was. When the Israelites came up out of Egypt, that's what the call was. When Jesus called the disciples to leave their nets, uh, the call was he has the authority. So um, beginning with political thinking and even very practical thinking as, as if the economy totally collapses because of what the government's doing with the whole coronavirus. Um, as Christians, we shouldn't panic. We should be generous because Jesus has all authority and he can meet our needs. Even if it's ravens feeding us down at the river like Elijah, um, Jesus is the one with all authority. And we have to have that confidence. And not only does he have authority in a little realm like People might say Donald Trump's the most powerful man on earth, but his reign is kind of in the United States. He doesn't really have, he, yeah. he can obviously indirectly influence things in Canada and China and Russia and stuff like that, but he doesn't have all authority over him. Jesus not only has all authority in heaven, he has it on earth. And so wherever we go, he has that authority. We need, we need to have that confidence um, so we can go into all nations. And the other thing he does tell us to do is teach and observe all that I've commanded you. So even as Christians, um, we are looking to, bring our lives into obedience to him. Every jot and tittle that he has taught us. If you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, men, uh, you know, uh, gouging out the lusts of your heart, not divorcing your wives, not being governed by your lust, um, uh, being generous, be, be asking for forgiveness to your brothers, uh, not being anxious about anything, all those things that are taking place in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we are gradually, as Christians, learning to bring ourselves in submission to that. And so, mm. The alls there is really is genuinely all-encompassing. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He has authority over all nations. And he has authority very practically over our lives and telling us what we can and cannot do with our bodies, with our money, with our time, with our energy. And the nature of sin, going back to Adam and Eve, is they did not listen to the voice of God. They listened to the voice of the serpent or they listened to the voice of the woman. So as Christians, what we need to learn to do is listen to the voice of Jesus. He's the one who loves us. He's the one with authority. And so we can trust them. And I think, that, and that's kind of the twofold step we need to learn to do. Like our father is the king of kings. Um, and so if, you know, if, if your dad's the king, uh, you feel pretty confident going to him <laughs> when you need something done or when you need, right. uh, when you need something, you have that confidence going to him. And so if Yahweh, uh, who's the creator of all things and the king of all things is your father and he is, uh, you have confidence going to him. Wow. That is so awesome. You, you literally just... Everything I was going to ask you, you just you just answered. So <laughs> you just you just, you just you tear it, you preach it, brother. That's so awesome. So let's just talk for a couple minutes about uh, about some of the cultural implications. So what misunderstandings exist within the church today with regard to authority that prevents many believers from sharing their faith? Yeah, well, I think the main the main thing from from my perspective, as far as not evangelizing, is we are not persuaded that the gospel is the power of God and salvation. And so I usually illustrate it this way. When I go out on the campus, so, so when I was a little boy, if I got in a fight in my neighborhood and I was with my older brother, I, I went into that fight much more confident than if I was just by myself because I knew I had backup. And so if I'm going out to evangelize and Jesus isn't with me, um, then, then you, you got to get, come up with tricks. Let's get a smoke show going. Let, you know, yeah. I have a beer. Let's grow a beer. Let's become cool guys and become uber, uber cool. Um, and that way maybe we'll win the culture. And then you end up compromising on your doctrines and on your beliefs because you think, man, if they'll never accept this, but if you realize that Jesus has authority. So even when I step foot, Sam in Moscow, Idaho, and I'm going to preach, 
uh, I'm confident Jesus is already king there. And if he's the king, you show up and you announce, repent and believe. That's what a herald did in the ancient world. They would go into the parts of the, the empire and they'd announce, you know, Caesar's been born uh, or Caesar's conquered somebody. And they'd go and announce that with confidence. And so I go out into the campus and I announce with confidence, hopefully not arrogance, but with total confidence that Jesus Christ is king. And I'm persuaded, one, that he has authority, but also in some way, shape, or form, Paul in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I think even part of the, the idea of saying he's not ashamed of it is because as Christians, we are often tempted to be ashamed of it. That's why Paul has to tell Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. We are afraid, and it's kind of normal to be afraid. And that's why we have to share the gospel with one another, and we have to give each other confidence. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so in Romans chapter 1, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and salvation. In some way, shape, or form, when I'm on campus, I'm announcing the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In some way, that's the power of God, and it mm. looks so foolish. You know what I mean? If, if you were the person who's come up with the power of God and salvation, you do something far more glorious, and that's what the students often ask. Give us a sign. Give us a wonder. Give us a miracle. And all I have is a dead Jew who's resurrected on the third day. And to many people, that's not a powerful message. Uh, but according to uh, Paul— it's the power of God and salvation. And that whole idea that it's the power of God um, is, the, yeah, that just, it, um, and in there he also, uh, if I'm not sure, for it's the, uh, for in the gospel, righteous from God is revealed. And that revelation uh, there is, 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 it's almost like this apocalyptic event taking place. So if you think of the last day, the average Christian, you ask him what the last day is going to be like, it's a powerful in breaking, it's a powerful event. Um, but if you ask them what sharing the gospel is like, they don't think of it as being a powerful event. Wow. And what you need to uh, reorient yourself as, even though it looks very humble, um, the sower goes out to sow his seed, it looks very humble, but the power of God is being manifested in that. Wow. And so I think, um, yeah, so, so you have two things. The authority is you think the world has the authority, you think science has the authority, you think that the neighbor who is engaged in homosexuality or you know, promiscuity or pornography, that has authority. Uh, well, no, the reality of it is Jesus has authority, and we need that confidence. Um, and more often than not, we're not sharing the gospel because we're really not persuaded it's the power of God and salvation. Um, I, th I think that's what the root, the root issue is, is, is we don't believe that. So you think that the church is doing a good job at, at getting the message of authority out, that all authority has been given to him? Do you think the church is doing a good job getting that message out to people? I would say absolutely not in general because um, – and, and that's part of why we're kind of afraid of the gospel and we're afraid of you know, losing some cultural clout and power. And so I, th I think we need to do two things because usually when we think of authority and power, even in our own culture, you think of um, – in general, our culture thinks power is a bad thing. We're, we're uh, the fancy words egalitarian. We think everything needs to be equaled. And that's even why if you ever hear language like, oh, the patriarchy and white supremacy, white supremacy nowadays is no longer uh, the idea of uh, whites thinking that in some way, shape or form, they're biologically superior and therefore should rule over, uh, you know, people who aren't quite as evolved. Uh, white supremacy now is anything that's kind of considered a, uh, a norm that white man has come up with. So the mm. patriarchy and white supremacy, they're like, oh, it's all power structure. And so nobody else can be a racist. Only a white person can because they can be power. So in our culture, power is something that's been opposed and it's been, and we all have experienced abuse of power at one point or another. Maybe our parents beat us. Maybe someone in authority over us uh, abused us. And so we have a tendency to be suspect of it. We're Americans. And so we didn't like the authority of a king. And so we want democracy. And so I think inherent to being an American, we're somewhat sus suspect of authority. Um, and so the church has not done a good job 
of laying out the reality that Jesus still is a king, even if our political system is is uh, you know a democracy, Jesus is still a king with all authority over mm. us. And so we're afraid to speak to that because we're afraid that you know uh, in turn authority is going to be abusive, or you know we want to be egalitarian in our approach. And so I think we've done a very very poor job laying out the authority of Jesus. And even going back to the Great Commission, the idea that when you got baptized into the name of Jesus, you're bringing yourself under his authority. Um, and so that's what you're acknowledging. I'm being buried and resurrected with him in this, in this union of baptism. And, uh, and so in, we confess with our mouth that he's Lord, uh, but I feel like oftentimes our hearts are fresh from that reality. So now I've been spending the past month doing what we're doing right now, you know, talking to pastors and preachers and leaders about this problem that is, it's literally worldwide, but just looking at it just in the scope of our own neighborhood, uh, where would you say that we turn the tide on this? I mean, you're saying as many guys are that this is a problem and that the church is really kind of doing a lousy job. Where does it start? Where can we begin to change this so that people are understanding and people are living in accordance with, with the structure of authority that God has laid out? Uh, I think uh, you and I uh, and you know, people listening, uh, we just begin by talking about it. To be honest, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so mm-hmm. we start talking about the word of God. And, we, and as you're talking about it, you're sharing the stories. Even for me, like, I, I, you know, this, again, this isn't a pat on my back, but traveling around being with pastors and telling them some stories from campus, they're encouraged. And so talking about the things the Lord has done, getting into the Bible and showing the things the Lord has done, reading the book of Acts and seeing uh, what uh, some of his mighty acts, reading about the ancient church and, and how over the course of 300 years or 250 years, basically, uh, the church did conquer the Roman Empire. Mm. Um, you know, who, who would have ever thought the Roman Empire was conquered? Next thing you know, um, you know, the, the, the the West is becoming Christian. And so I think the it, it turns by beginning to talk about it. Um, I don't know what you guys sing in your church, but if you start singing the Psalms and if you're singing Psalm two in church, um, that's going to change the way you approach reality and approach the world around you. Um, and so I think it, re- it honestly begins the simplicity of the gospels, the power of God and salvation. And so as you sit around and you talk about it, um, one of my favorite stories, hopefully you, you guys aren't teetotalers, but Martin Luther um, he was he was talking to Melanchthon and um, or he's writing a letter to some of his followers and and he says that um, he basically did nothing. Uh, all he did was preach and publish the word of God and and while he slept and drank beer in Wittenberg with Melanchthon, uh, God weakened the papacy. And so that's the sort of confidence you need that Luther had that if I just preach and I publish yeah. this word, uh, things will get different. The problem, the the real root problem, I would say, is we're not really preaching and publishing. The word of God. We're not really preaching the gospel. We're, we're, we've kind of watered it down. And it's not, again, it's, it, that doesn't mean we're ranting and raving like we're lunatics and, you know, we're standing up on the pulpit yelling at everybody in hellfire and brimstone ter- terms. It's, it's just really opening the word of God and allowing it to have its authority. It is authoritative over us. Hmm. And we have that sit in judgment of us, not us sit in judgment of the text. So I, so I think that's where the I think that's where the, the where we need to go is you with your, you know, 30, 40, 50 people, whatever you have in New York is really is getting together as a church on Sunday mornings, talk about the word of God, feeding him the Lord's Supper, and then going out into, you know, the surrounding neighborhoods that you live in and sharing that story with other people mm-hmm. and, and, and trusting that it's in that simplicity that, that really long-term miraculous things are taking place. Mm-hmm. That is so awesome. So if you were just with a couple minutes here to speak just directly to those who truly believe that it's the job of the theologian to, 
to go out and take part in evangelism. You know, we have a lot of that. Well, I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a good position to do that. I don't really understand things well enough. Uh, what would you say to those people? Um, I would say you're probably not. <laughs> um, the reality is you're not, uh, but that's all right because the power is not you, um, and you're going to get tripped up, and people are going to beat you up literally and verbally and even intellectually. <laughs> Um, so for me, one of the first times I remember sharing the gospel with a, was with a Jehovah's Witness after I became a believer. And honestly, they just tied me in a theological pretzel. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, it was one of those things I kind of knew they were wrong. I didn't really know why they were wrong, but it made me go back and study. So you are probably not equipped enough, but you do know, like the woman, uh, uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she went back to her town and she, she told everybody, here's a man who told everything about me. And you can do that. You, if, if you knew you're a sinner and you believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's sufficient to have saved you, and that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection uh, was for the world, um, it's, you're not sharing merely that Jesus died, but also that he was resurrected. Uh, mm-hmm. You can do that. And so what we need to do, what you need to do as the pastor is, you know, if you have, you know, it's like a football team. You have 11 people there. You got to figure out what everybody's role is in doing this in our community. And so not everybody's going to be the quarterback. Not everybody's going to be the open air preacher like me. Um, but you probably can maybe bake a meal. You can build a shed. You can, yeah. you know, change the, the, the single mom's oil and stuff like that who, who doesn't have the money to do those things. And so what we need to do is look at ourselves as, as the body of Christ and the pastors, one of the pastor's main responsibilities is to look at his church, understanding the gifts and talents that the people there have, and then putting them to use in the work of the kingdom. Mm. And so for some people, it might mean you do publicly preach. Uh, for others of you, it's going to be your home is open to the single mom, your home is open to uh, the orphaned, whatever it may be, uh, you guys are going to be doing that corporately. So I would say you're not equipped, uh, but as a church, with the different members doing its roles, everybody there is equipped to do the work um, in another sense. And so you need that confidence and then coming together as a community and doing it uh, rather than just thinking, you know, oh, Keith's out there preaching, he'll get it all done because I always <laughs> write checks I can't cash and no one's really <laughs> taking me up on it. But I was like, look, if you're thinking about having an abortion, we'll put you up. I don't, that's going to be you guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, when right. someone, if I'm preaching at, in Binghamton and someone's like, hey, I'm thinking about having an abortion, but I don't want to, uh, are you going to put me up? And then I call you guys and you guys have to figure out putting, putting this person up and take care of them over the next yeah. uh, years as, as they're, hopefully you develop a friendship and stuff like that. So anyway, that's how everybody in the church is involved in the work of evangelism, even if, Generally speaking, there are people like me, or in through the book of Acts, there are certain people who are publicly preaching. Uh, you always have the whole church in some way involved in the kingdom work uh, that, that's basically sharing the gospel with people. Oh, that is so wonderful. That is so wonderful. And I, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight. And I just want to uh, allow everyone to have an opportunity to hear how they can get in contact with you or hear more about your ministry. Uh, how can they do that? Yes, the easiest way is uh, campuspreacher.com. There's a contact form there if you want to get in touch with me. My email is keith at campuspreacher.com. You can also go to Twitter, which is Campus Evangel. Unfortunately, someone else has Campus Preacher, and they've never used it. So I, I'd, I'd like to figure out a way to get that from them. I'm even email them. Um, and then Facebook, just Keith Darrell. I, I think there's a paint. No, actually, it's uh, Tom Selleck is my current profile picture. So if you go to Facebook and you punch in Keith Darrell and you see Tom Selleck from uh, Magnum PI, that's me. So if you want to contact me, the best way is probably CampusPreacher.com. And what does Keith do? He's a Campus Preacher, so it's all pretty straightforward. Awesome, awesome. Keith, thank you so much for your time.
yeah, thank you very much for having me. And yeah, feel free to contact me if I can answer anything else. Anybody is free to contact me anytime. And uh, I think you even have my phone number. So if somebody wants to call me, uh, you, you can give that out and we can go from there. All right, great. Lord bless you. We'll be praying for you. Thank you very much.